Today in the Journey with Steve DeWitt, a message on the joy of the Lord. Connection to Jesus, friends, makes joy possible. He is the joyful God. He is the happy God forever and ever. And his joy is untouchable. So joy is an act of faith and obedience in which I choose to find my satisfaction in my relationship to the vine. According to John 15, joy comes from staying connected to Christ. Therefore, seeking joy is more than just a superficial pursuit. It's a deeper spiritual journey that ought to be a central aspect of our faith. Welcome to The Journey with Steve DeWitt. I'm your host, Tim Svoboda. Today, Pastor Steve teaches us how to find joy by finding fulfillment in Christ. You can also listen online at thejourney.fm. But right now, let's join Pastor Steve for the first part of a message titled, Joy is a gospel fruit. So here we are. We have been uh, taking on Jesus' upper room farewell discourse, his goodbye speech, the last will and testament of Jesus Christ. We've been taking it in chunks, but today we're going to just deal with one verse and a brief verse at that. Here it is, and then why we're doing this. Here's the verse, John 15, 11. Here it is. These things... I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now, why are we just doing one verse today? Well, we live in a remarkably cynical and depressed time. And obviously this verse is about joy. Now, I won't say that it's as bad as it's ever been because I haven't lived long enough to uh, compare it to every time, but it certainly is as bad as I can think of in my lifetime, the world that we live in today. The last few years, in particular, as bad as anything that I have personally observed, our society has been under such strain and relationships have been under such strain due to political and civil and other sources of unrest Families have been polarized on these issues such that I still hear to this day, people share with me in our church that they've got extended family that they're not even talking to each other still because of differences on these matters. And then you have the news, which sensationalizes the bad news and rarely reports on the good news. Have you noticed that? Fueling the madness and making money as they do it, by the way. Then you have the fact that there are today wars and rumors of wars. Madness is mainstream. What has that left us? There's a kind of melancholy in the air today. There is so much discouragement all around us. And who, of course, suffers the most in society from this? It's always the children. It is the youth. 
And today, kids, and kids are always, you know, they always struggle with, who am I? What's my place in this world? You know, what does it mean to be me? And today, when everything is so uncertain, they feel that more than ever. Here's a recent headline from the Wall Street Journal. Teen girls experiencing record levels of sadness and suicide. As a dad of daughters, this is a troubling headline. We love our children, and yet we see in our children them suffering from the, the sadness in the air, the cultural sadness in the air. Now, when you think about Christianity, ironically, Christianity in Latin America, South America, Africa is spreading like wildfire, and praise God for the kinds of things that's going on in the global South. But in the West, in Western society, which we are a part of, our world is growing more secular, less theistic, less Judeo-Christian-y, ethic-y. They are, we are more and more, if not atheistic, agnostic, and more sad. We live in a sad time. Boy, if there was ever a joy Listen now, if there was ever a joy, a kind of durable joy, an enduring joy, the kind of joy that you can have even when the world seems to go, be going to pot, boy, that would, that would be something people would go for. Not the fleeting kind of happiness of a drug or some kind of a, you know, a, a bender weekend of some kind. No, not the binge, not a, not a cheerfulness that is dependent on pleasing circumstances in life. Because guess what? In a broken world, those pleasing circumstances never endure. They're constantly up and down and all around. Boy, if there was a joy that wasn't dependent upon that stuff, but was a kind of joy you could have despite that stuff, would you be interested and that is why today's message is entirely on the subject of joy, and specifically the joy that Jesus, through the gospel, provides to those who are connected to him. Now, this brings us back to now John 15, verse 11. This little verse, tucked into a long teaching section by Jesus, hours before he dies, and right there, we have a pretty good sense of the kind of joy that Jesus had, a kind of joy that on his deathbed, if you will, what is he talking about? Happiness, gladness. That's the kind of joy I'd like to have. Okay, How about you? The kind of joy that when I am about to die like Jesus was hours from dying, he's still talking about joy. That's the kind of joy that I'd like. Now, in previous verses, Jesus is talking about what it means to be connected to him by faith. And I've done that, those couple of those messages. I'm not going to go back to it. But the metaphor is a vine and branches. Then there is this verse, this John 15, 11. These things I have spoken to you, okay, purpose statement, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So we're talking about Jesus' joy here and how we access it, how we can live with it and buy it. And what I want you to see, first of all, that the joy that Jesus provides is an, a remaining joy. It is an abiding joy. 
Old pastor Adrian Rogers makes this point wonderfully. Every true Christian continues to abide in the vine. We saw that already. And because we are abiding in the nourishment from Jesus, and since Jesus is perpetual divine joy, our joy can also therefore be an abiding joy. It is a remaining joy. It is a connected joy. If I go back to the metaphor of John 15, the everyone's joyful in the vine except for the dead branches. Those dead branches are sad. It's sad to be a disconnected branch. And listen, you might wonder if Jesus can provide joy for you today, but you don't need to wonder that leaving Jesus doesn't provide it. Those dead branches in the metaphor are unhappy branches today and forever. I heard this story, and I'm quoting it from memory, so I may not have every detail right, but I understand that the, the hymn writer of the song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, Tune My Heart to Sing Thy Praise, a very sort of uplifting, happy in Jesus kind of, kind of hymn. You've probably sung it at some point. His name was Robert Robinson. He wrote that in his youth. Well, he later walked away from the faith and spent decades basically just, you know, not following Jesus, not caring. Well, in his elderly years, he got into a carriage, and in the carriage was a woman, and she's reading the lyrics of Come Thou Fount out loud. And she gets to the end of it, and she looks at him sitting across in the carriage, and she says, aren't those wonderful words? And Robinson bursts into tears and confesses that he is the person who wrote that hymn. And he said about Jesus, how I miss him. Connection to Jesus, friends, makes joy possible, okay? Possible. It doesn't mean that you're always joyful or if you're not joyful, you're not a Christian. What it does mean is that a genuinely connected branch to Jesus has the possibility of living according to the joy of Jesus. Disconnection from Jesus makes unhappiness guaranteed. Can I say that again? Disconnection from Jesus makes unhappiness guaranteed. Do you know who's unhappy today? Everyone in hell. Sin is a temporary gladness followed by a long season of sadness. Sin offers a kind of moment of pleasure, the Bible says, but in the end, on the other side of it, it is filled with pain and with regret. Obedience to Jesus is maybe temporary sadness because obedience requires it, but long-term gladness. It's the old uh, question, would you rather have short-term pain, long-term gain, or long-term pain opposite, whatever that means. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Which of those would you want to have? Sin provides a kind of gain, temporary, but long-term pain. I wonder what you are prepared to choose this week because Jesus' joy is a remaining joy. It is an abiding joy. The provision of the vine is always there for us. We may not be accessing it. We may not be living by it, but it is always there. So it is really a question if I'm a Christian, if I'm in the vine, am I accessing the nourishment of joy that Jesus provides every day to those that are following him? 
Am I or am I not? Because it is an abiding joy. God is a joy-filled God. Where does that say, Pastor? Where does the Bible say that, Pastor Steve? I'll give you one example. Here's one. Here's 1 Timothy 1.11. In accordance, now get this, with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. The blessed, old school, blessed God. You've maybe read that and sort of thought, okay, I, he's, he's blessed, on we go. And maybe have missed the fact that what this verse is saying here is something profound about the character of God. The ESV translates that word blessed, blessed. It means, it, it means that, but we also find this word in the Beatitudes, for example. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers, etc. What is Jesus saying in the Sermon on the Mount? He is saying, happy are those Delighting are those who are peacemakers, etc. God is a blessed God. God is a, he is a happy God. God is happy about being God. There is joy within the triune God. And we see this in creation. We see this in scripture. And we really see it in his son, Jesus Christ. Let me walk through those a moment. Who can look at an elephant or a kangaroo and not think God has a sense of humor? Such strange animals. What was God thinking when he kind of, you know, connected this, that, and the other and goes, oh, here's an animal. You know, the joke is an elephant is an animal put together by a committee. Uh, And there's a lot of truth to that. But we look in creation And what would God have to do, what kind of world would he need to create to convince us that he delighted in creating it? How about the world that we live in? How about the beautiful world that we live in? How about a world where, for example, here in the next few weeks, we're so excited that winter is receding and and the first robin shows up and the little buds show up and they're colorful and beautiful and the smells and all the rest, It's, it's a wonderful time of year. And God is saying something by that. He is, he's delighting in his creation. We know that he did that when he created the world. He stepped back and he goes, this is awesome. Bible says very good, but that's the sense of it. He delights in creation and the creation, Romans 1, 18 through 20, is communicating something about what he is like. I wonder if you get it, if you see it, that sun that's rising is God, I think it's in the Old Testament, he's you know, clapping, the creation is clapping and rejoicing. We live in, to quote Anne of Green Gables, the land of shining waters. Creation displays that God is a happy God. He infuses it with his own joy in being God. And scripture as well declares and shows the happiness of God. And then, of course, we have God's own delight in his son. Do you remember what God the Father thunders from heaven at the baptism of his son? Out from heaven comes, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You see there the gladness of the Godhead between the Father and the Son. Get this, Zechariah describes God as dancing over us. Now for some of you, that's a challenging metaphor. But think about the God of heaven delighting so much in his people that he, metaphorically, he doesn't have legs, but the idea there is 
that he is rejoicing over us. And why does he rejoice? Because that's his nature. That is his character. He is a glad God. He is a happy God. The God that you worship and serve, Christian, delights in being God and delights in you. And all of these are speaking to an essential quality of God. He is, he is happy. And all his ways are good. He is good in all that he does. He delights in everything that he does, even the darkest and the harshest things God delights in. Here is, here's the ultimate example of this. This is Isaiah 53, the famous suffering servant psalm, the prophecy regarding Jesus. But the Lord was pleased to crush him. Did you get that? The Lord was what? God the Father was what? To crush who? He was pleased to crucify Jesus. How do we make sense of that? That even the sufferings of Jesus on the cross, somehow God delighted in that, was happy in that? How do we say that? Here's how. All that God does is good, and God derives joy from his good works, not from the evil, not from the Pharisees, not from Judas' betrayal and, and Satan's delight and all the rest, certainly not from the death itself, but from the outcomes and the effects, which, by the way, is a good clue for us in how to handle the hard things in our own life, by the way. The point is this. He is the blessed God forever. He is the joyful God. He is the happy God forever and ever. And his joy is untouchable. It transcends everything. He is unchangeable. He is a happy God. Get that into your theology. It has a way of uplifting you, just thinking about God being happy. What a help that is. But the focus here, though, from John 15 is not so much the gladness and the joy of the triune God as it is Jesus' joy specifically. As Jesus is the eternal Son of God, his nature, sharing nature with God the Father, God the Father is a happy God the Father, which means that Jesus must also be a very happy God the Son. And we get glimpses of this in his life and ministry that he had a, a, an enthusiasm. There was a joy about Jesus that people found compelling. Here is Luke 10. At the time, at that time, Jesus, full of joy, get that, full of joy, through the Holy Spirit, said. Now, we typically run to what he said, and we miss the fact that Jesus was full of joy. Did you see that? He was glad. He had that enduring joy in his soul. And I note this because, you know, people are, don't tend to be drawn to negative, gloomy types of people. I heard uh, uh, Paul Harvey one time, a favorite quote of mine, he said uh, that in all his years, he's never seen a statue to a pessimist. And how true that is. It always requires a certain enthusiasm, a certain sort of gladness and joy that draws people uh, to someone. And Jesus drew people to himself by the tens of thousands, even more than that, you could argue. 
They were drawn to him. Get this, even children. You know, one thing about kids, they are, there's an instinctive sort of judge of character that kids have where they can kind of sense the, you know, the, 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 the other person. And non-joyful types don't normally interest kids that much. And how do kids respond to Jesus? They were drawn to him. Even children sense this remarkable joy. Did you know that scripture tells us that joy was a primary motivation for Jesus in his life, ministry, and his death? Here is Hebrews 12, verse two. Get this. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, do you get that? The joy that was set before him, what did he do? He endured the cross. He despised its shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Joy set before him. What are you talking about here? Well, here is a partial list. The joy of conquering Satan, sin, and death. The joy of completing his father's will. The joy of displaying his beautiful character for the praise of his glory. The joy of redeeming a people for his own name. The joy of restoring in creation what sin and death destroyed. The joy of glory at the Father's right hand. The joy of sharing his inheritance with his people. And the joy of eternal presence with his people in the new heaven and in the new earth. And no doubt a lot more than that. Think about Jesus. There he is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying, Father, if there's any way for this to be taken from me, may it be so, but your will be done. And as he psychologically processed the call of God upon him to go and to bear our sin and guilt, that there in the Gethsemane, he thought about the joy on the other side of it. He thought about all the great outcomes on the other side of it. And the joy that he knew was his motivated him to endure the cross and its shame and to bear your guilt and mine on the cross. He did it for a lot of reasons, but one is he did it for joy. He did it for his own joy and to share his joy with us. And that provided a kind of steadfastness in his suffering. And when you realize this, it makes what he says in John 15, 11, utterly profound. These things I have spoken to you, get it now, that my joy may be in you. The joy experienced by Christ is not distant or unattainable. It's meant to reside within us as believers. You're listening to The Journey with Steve DeWitt and the first part of a message titled, Joy is a Gospel Fruit. If you'd like to hear it again, visit thejourney.fm. That's where you can also find our complete message archive, send us an email, access relevant studies, or connect with our online community. Again, that's thejourney.fm. Well, here at The Journey, our mission is to guide you in your faith journey to the eternal truth found in God's Word. That's why each day on the radio and web, we take our listeners into the depths of Scripture while making God's truth easy to understand and applicable to our daily life. But as a listener-supported program, we couldn't do it without you. The Journey relies in part on the financial gifts of generous friends like you, which allow us to share the truth of the gospel to listeners all around the country. So would you join hands with us in this mission today? You can call 
Journey. That's 844-756-8763. Or give online at thejourney.fm. And when you give, we'll say thanks by sending you The Upper Room by John MacArthur. During the final hours before Jesus' betrayal, Jesus gave his disciples and all believers throughout history his parting promises. The Upper Room encapsulates the essence of Christ's last will and testament, preserving the timeless words that bring us comfort and assurance. In this book, you'll discover that these promises are not confined to a particular moment in history. They transcend time and are the rightful inheritance of every believer, including you. And you can request your copy by calling 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763 or visit thejourney.fm. I'm Tim Svoboda, inviting you to join us tomorrow when Pastor Steve concludes today's message. We're learning more about how joy is a gospel fruit. Friday on The Journey. Today's program was produced and furnished by Bethel Church in Crown Point, Indiana.